Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. When you're growing an organization, if you're managing from the top, you're stunting the growth. Today on episode 479 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with author and keynote speaker, Tabitha Laser. I'm going to ask Tabitha how to build a culture that will meet your expectations for success and much more. Find out more about Tabitha along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Tabitha Laser. Tabitha is a multifaceted professional with over 25 years of leadership experience in a wide variety of industries, ranging from oil and gas, energy, manufacturing, agriculture, construction, and many more. Her diverse background has provided her with numerous opportunities to work with government agencies and some of the world's largest companies, including Fortune 500 companies like BP, 3M, and General Mills. Tabitha is the author of today's book, Organizational Culture Killers. This is the first in a series of leadership books that she calls The Deadly Practices. Tabitha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, David. But Tabitha, what are some of the things that really kill culture? It, that's an interesting question because uh, I put it on the title of the book with organization culture killers. But the truth is you can't kill a culture. It's always there. Culture is, in, in short, the way we do things around here. And what you can do is you can hurt your culture or have an unhealthy culture that won't deliver success in the way you're expecting. So I look at the culture as the delivery mechanism for success for an organization. And there are many things that we do currently that harm our culture and prevent us from achieving success and not just success, but sustainable success. A lot of those stem from not clearly defining and communicating and upholding our expectations for success. Mm. So is, is understanding the expectation for success the starting place? I really believe so. And that's why the first book is Deadly Expectations 1 that deals with building your expectations for success. And it really starts, if you dig deep, it really starts with defining what success means. Right. If we start by defining what success means by using lagging indicators, so things that happen after the effect, right, after everything's said and done, and we miss what we need to get there in that definition, what we need to do to get there, then it makes it very hard for the culture to know exactly how they're supposed to be delivering success. So, really defining that up front. Is important. So if you're a crime ring, your, your definition for success may be vastly different than if you're a hospital or you're a manufacturer or you're a government agency or you're a church. So defining that very clearly up front is really the first step of any organization, even if you're just a one-person organization. What are some of the ways that you've heard success defined? There's a, a lot of ways success can be defined. Um, I've heard it de defined as grow profitably 10% year over year, 
you know, you start looking into folks' missions, visions, and values, and they try to define it a little bit more. But really what you have to look at is what value do you want your organization to create over time? And you need to be clear enough with that. If you just say, I want to make the world a better place, which is a lot of people's definition of success, what does that mean exactly to you? <laughs> if if that's what you say, then how do your folks get behind that? I think Bezos originally, his original for Amazon was get big fast, right? And that was good for, for where they were at, but it wasn't looking into the future. So all of a sudden, big get big fast when they went publicly traded changed, right? And they stopped getting big fast and started something else. So the actual definition of success needs to be that long range plan. Yeah, you want to get big fast, but what do you want to do in the long run? What do you want your value to be? And then you use your mission, visions, and values to go into more of the detail around what your expectations are to achieve that. And then you get into defining the actual expectations, which are how do we achieve that? Yeah, but even going back to the like the first part of the expectation, isn't, isn't something like get big fast kind of vague? Exactly, exactly. Like I said, it wasn't future looking. It was really just here's where we're at. So that's one thing I see a lot of organizations miss the mark on. Mm. So Tabitha, what's a good example of a really clear expectation of success, especially one that's narrow enough so that people can understand it? Yeah, so... Instead of just get big fast, something along the lines of, and I'm, I don't have these pulled up in front of me, but something along the lines of developing a platform that can be used globally to procure X, right, at a competitive rate in the such and such market, right, mm -hmm. um, with growth opportunities in X markets, mm -hmm. you know, with innovation opportunities to grow in other markets. Right. Or, and if we're talking about Amazon, one of their, I guess, unique features is that they make it really simple for the, the sale to the end user to happen. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes it, that makes total sense. So getting the expectation clear up front is kind of step one. Exactly. And, and, with that, as you grow, you can modify it and that that's later on in the books, but you really need to have a good management of change process. People right now just think of management of change for process safety because it's a regulatory requirement, but we really need strong management of change processes. So if new leaders come in and want to change it, they don't change it on a dime, right? I did it this way, so we're going to change it. There needs to be a really clear way to go about modifying that so that the whole organization continues to support it and understand it. Mm -hmm. Does it make any difference whether you're talking about a really big organization or a tiny one? No, not at all. Okay. All right. So what, what kinds of changes are you talking about once you are clear what your expectations are and how you would measure the results? What's the, what are some of the things that you might need to change so that your culture will support creating the outcomes that meet your expectations? Yeah, that's a great question as well. You can change anything. And that's part of the problem that I see today is with the introduction of big data mm -hmm. and the extra visibility in our media markets. I mean, here we're on a podcast, right? 
Uh, we didn't have this type of stuff 40 years ago. So we have TV, podcasts, radio, newspapers, Twitter, you know, go on and on. So with the introduction of these of these data sources, what we're doing is we're making what you could call knee-jerk changes or knee-jerk reactions. But a lot of times organizations think they're thinking it through, right? They'll have the little room of the board members and the senior level leaders, and they'll make these decisions quickly without a lot of thought for the impact that that decision is going to have, not only on their organization, but also on the market, the, the public perception, the people that work for them, the culture. And so any change really should go through a management, a change process, whether it be personnel changes. My favorite is uh, how we like to, if a leader's not doing well in one, one site, at one site, they'll promote them <laughs> to another site and move them over and see if maybe they'll do better there. And not always taking into consideration, do their values align not only with the organization, but the area in which they're working. Uh, so management of change can apply to people. It can apply to any written requirements or expectations. So if you're going to change your definition of success, if you're going to change your mission, vision values, if you're going to change your expectations to deliver success, those things should go through a management of change process. And also you want to do management change for any physical changes as well. If you're going to move offices, um, downsize, if you're going to change equipment. I, I worked for one, one place that downsized to one location and they shoved all the equipment from both into one. Not a lot of thought around change except for let's go to one location. And, and it really wasn't a good work environment for process flow or anything where they were sticking equipment that didn't really fit in the one site. So all of those things, when you're when you're looking at that, you should go through a thorough management and change process where you ask those questions. You know, um, I, I talk about it in the book, the three P's, the people, the performance and the public and the people are your workforce, you know, that environment, the health, safety, culture, HR, all of that. Your performance has everything to do with are you actually able to deliver what you're you're promising, right, with the change and looking at all the different uh, impacts to your performance there can be. And then the people that has your environment, that has your reputation, that has your shareholders and, and those those external factors that could also be impacted by the change. And you need to really look at those and make sure you ask enough questions to maintain some level of balance, because if you don't, you may be putting too much focus in one area, which ends up creating a risk impact, a potential risk in other areas of the business if you're not considering them. Right. So this management of change process includes a pretty comprehensive look at all aspects of your business and your organization. Correct. And you get the right people involved too. So just having the C-suite leadership looking at the change and not engaging their workforce. Anytime you do anything that you don't maybe have to engage all of them, but you need a, a good representation and that needs to be communicated out so that everybody feels that they have a voice in that decision. And you're looking at it more balanced than you would be if you just did it from a senior leader perspective. And you hear that a lot, right? We want to be clear and transparent, clear and transparent. I've heard that through, I don't know how many reorganizations 
and um, acquisitions. We're going to be clear and transparent. And their idea of clear and transparent is that they make all the decisions and they send out an email. <laughs> and that's clear and transparent. It's not. That's not being clear and transparent. That's that's making the decisions and telling us what it is. Right. So what is clear and transparent? And clear and transparent is involving the right people, a good representation of people so that everybody throughout the organization understands why the decisions are being made and how it's going to impact them. And if there is going to be a negative impact, what the balancing uh, initiative is going to be to make it less of an impact, right? To reduce the severity of that decision. And so that way people actually have a say as they go through. They're involved in the discussions. They have an ability to provide their feedback without retaliation and to see that their feedback's being heard throughout the decision-making process. And then at the end, to receive that communication, not only about the decision being made, but how how things or are going to be done to lessen the impact to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Isn't the, the feedback really important for the people at the top of the organization to hear so that they, they can be made aware of potential roadblocks or potential negative impact that they hadn't considered when they were making the decision about what they wanted to change? Yes. And unfortunately, they don't always get that feedback. And I think one of the reasons you actually just hit upon is we say they manage top down, right? Top down. But the truth is when you're growing an organization, whether it's one person and you're trying to grow to two or it's 10,000 people and you're trying to go to 20,000 or, or whatever, when you're growing an organization, if you're managing from the top, you're stunting the growth, right? Because you can't grow down. So we need to flip the script and how we view leadership. Leadership, actually, imagine they're in the basement, right? And they're responsible for defining success and the mission, vision, values, and their expectations, which I call they're, they're building the foundation for the organization, right? So right. they have to find the right location. They have to pick the right market and all of that. Otherwise, they could build their organization over quicksand. And then when they define their foundation, if they're not very clear in what those are, what makes that, what makes it up, then they can have cracks in their foundation. And that's, that's really the, what my first book is a beginning about, right? So the deadly expectations set is four books and this is the first one. And then I'll go into additional organization, culture killers and deadly practices further in the series. But if they have those cracks in the foundation, as they build their organization on top of it, see how I'm flipping the script? Right. So leadership's in the basement holding right. up the foundation, right? They're defining it. They build their organization above it. So if they don't have a clear definition of success, so where they build, and they don't have clear, well-established, understood expectations, the foundation, as they grow, can you imagine this, right? You have a, Imagine your house with a cracked foundation right? Or built on quicksand. As you grow, it may do okay initially, but the culture, as you get higher and higher, has they understand less. Of, there's more mixed messages. There's a lot of times culture of fear or complacency or things that develop as it as the building grows and these the, the culture gets higher and higher away from the leadership who are trying to explain what they want. So can you see like I'm on floor 20 and I have no idea if you play that game of telephone 
I have no idea what leadership wants by the time it gets to the 20th floor, right? So as you grow and develop, the message gets skewed. And again, they're the ones, imagine the helicopter pad at the top flying off. That's your success. They're delivering the success from the top of the building. And if they're not getting the right message all the way up, they're not delivering a successful message. You know, that's that's not a, a well-equipped helicopter taking off. It's, it's maybe one that's going to crash soon. So, and you've got that with the culture. And then also you're, if you're not building it well as you go, then any change that comes along, whether it's a market shift, you know, like the bubble burst or potentially an incident that happens like BP and Macondo or gosh, anything, right? Uh, Negative um, publicity of some sort, any of that that comes along, your building could crumble because it's not built sturdy enough. And your culture is not strong enough to make sure that it can stand and withstand that at the same point, deliver success sustainably. And I think that's where we make the biggest mistake is right there, right at the base, building the foundation. We view leadership from the top down and they don't realize that the visual of how their message gets skewed. Whereas if you picture them at the basement you can easily see how the message can get skewed as they work their way up to delivering success. Yeah, it makes total sense. Tabitha, what is it in your own experience that has helped you develop this expertise in organizational culture? It's it's interesting. So I went to school originally to be a criminal psychologist. <laughs> a silence of the lambs, you know, engaged me. And I quickly changed over and got basically a double minor in psychology and safety and then stayed around and got my management master's. And what I learned early on, one of my first jobs out of uh, college was with 3M. And they were talking about culture before culture was a word, like nobody was talking about culture back then. And so I got to see what good could look like. I, you know, they still had their issues, mind you, but at going from there, I became more known as a management system builder or fixer. The organizations would call me in when they had problems and I would go in and fix it, resource it, empower everybody, and then move on to the next project, uh, the next organization. And in doing so, I wasn't really hopping, right? I was setting them up for success. It was theirs to mess up as I left, but In doing so, I have seen what good looks like in different pockets, in global roles, local roles, uh, regional roles. And I've also seen what really awful looks like. And I've seen the devastation it can cause. And, And the great part has been I've normally been at a senior level position, whether at a small organization or a global one. And I've worked for tiny, tiny companies like a little printing company doing consulting all the way up to BP at a global practice level, a practice leader role. So I was responsible for our consulting operations around the globe. And at that level, especially in an EHS risk management system role, I've kind of been the fly on the wall in the rooms, right? So I'm there hearing and listening to all of the struggles and challenges, not just in my lane. I, I'm seeing it all. In addition, I, I'm one of those 
boots on the ground folks. So I've, I've climbed a wind tower, 23 stories in the air and worked with the guys for eight hours with no restroom up there, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've gone out and done those things. Um, I, I go out into the field with the guys I've ridden in trash, garbage trucks, and I hear the, what's going on at the C-suite level. And I also have seen what's going on at the delivery level. Right. And it's really given me an interesting perspective to the point a little over 15 years ago. And now I actually started keeping notes, napkins, notes, notepads in saying one day I'll write a book. You know, I didn't have enough information, but I was gathering it. Like these are things I've seen work. And these are things I've repeatedly seen not work. I've been asked, you know, which company is getting it right. And I can't name one because they may get a lot right, but they still are getting a lot wrong. And, you know, after, after about 15 years, I said, okay, I've seen enough. <laughs> I, I, I have to do something about this. I don't feel like I'm having enough impact with one at a time and stepped back. And even with my notes, that's why we have a series. There's a lot of information, but even with my notes, I felt like I needed to know more. So I've actually been interviewing world leaders, government officials, uh, CEOs, subject matter experts, uh, over over a hundred now, getting their feedback on what type of things they've seen actually harm their culture and prevent them from being as successful as they should be. And it's been a, a very interesting data gathering ride, but uh, always learning. Yeah. So if anybody listening has additional uh, learnings that they'd like to share, I only know what I know or what people share with me. And uh, in the books, I don't put any names and I do that on purpose because I really want this to be timeless, that it can educate, the books can educate future leaders for years and years to come. So I I don't bash anybody, right? It's all, it's all just the learnings and the recommendations and with the message that best practices don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. We always have the opportunity to get better. And the, you know, as soon as we start believing something's best, we stop looking for improvement. So just always learning about it. So Tabitha, if, uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you to share anything that they've seen or to access any of the information you currently have or any resources you have, how would they do that? Where would they go? Yes. So uh, I have a website. It's always developing, right? We're always uh, trying to make it better, but it's www.talaser, and that's laser with an S, not a Z, mm-hmm. uh, .com. And there is a, a contact me area there where they can reach out to me directly. I'm always looking for feedback on the books, sharing of learnings, opportunities to go out and share with others. So that's one of my big passions right now is getting the message out, whether it be on webinars or in work groups or as a keynote speaker. I'm really trying to get the message out because what I feel is that these learnings, and I've actually had a a leader tell me this, the learnings, you know, if we're existing leaders, we know a lot of them already, right? We say, oh, it's a good refresher. We know this already. But the new folks coming in, the millennials and forward, as they come in, they don't. And we either forget that they haven't learned it the hard way through the school and hard knocks like we have, or we don't have the time because we're being asked to do more with less right now. 
and we just, or they, they jump, right? So the millennials, that's what they're pretty much known for. If they don't feel like they're adding value, they go somewhere else, which is not giving them the opportunity for mentorship either. So these books are really great for them because it's, it's kind of like onboarding quickly, right? It's getting them the information and learnings we had without them having to learn the hard way. So Future leaders could, you know, get, learn a lot from the book, but existing leaders can use the book and this and the future books in the series as tools to help onboard their new uh, employees. And I, I honestly believe that's one reason we're not progressing as fast as we should be as a culture overall in, in the world is because we keep making the same mistakes over and over instead of making new ones. And I think we need to start learning from what we've already done wrong and start making new mistakes in order to progress. And uh, information about your book is on your site, I presume. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's, it's on my site. It's available anywhere books are sold online. Sounds great. Well, Tabitha, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau, share what you've been up to, how you've created the book and where to access additional resources my guest today has been author and keynote speaker, Tabitha Laser. Thank you again, Tabitha, for joining us. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. And I, I look forward to hearing from your, your listeners. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we discussed how to build a culture that will meet your expectations for success and how Tabitha's unique experiences have spawned her valuable expertise. Would you like more consistent, stable revenue in your business? Go to smashingtheplateau.com and click on Schedule Time with David to connect directly with me. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.